Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, January the 22nd, 2022. It is currently 1225 p.m. Central Time. And once again, I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And once again, it is time for a Bible study exercise. This week, it's all been Genesis chapter 37. We've been discussing the topic of spiritual pitfalls. We haven't really gotten that far into the text, but we've had some very, I hope, interesting conversations. I think I think a lot of people have described a lot of the broadcasts that we've done this week in the Bible study exercise. I mean, I've done lots of broadcasts, but those broadcasts clearly, you know, dedicated to the Bible study exercise have been challenging or intense. And we've we've had, I, I hope it's really sparked a lot of discussion with you. I know this week hasn't been like, oh, wait a minute, we're going deep into hermeneutics. We're going deep into theology. We're going deep into exegesis. This has just been very practical. But we've got to remember this. In your Christian life, you need you need balance there, right? Let me give you just a couple of ideas. Because I think, I mean, I, I've said that my whole Christian life, the most important word in your Christian life is the word balance. Because we have a tendency to become very unbalanced in our Christian life in so many different ways. But let me explain. For example, you need a balance between how much you study the Old Testament and you study the New Testament because you need both. A lot of Christians have a lot of areas of the Old Testament that they're just very ignorant about. They don't don't study it. They don't teach it. And a lot of times in churches, a lot of the preaching tends to be very heavy New Testament with some journeys into the Old Testament, but then it's very specific, like it's kind of the stories that you expect. It's the text that you expect in the Old Testament. A lot of times there's things that just get ignored. You need both. You need old and new. You need that balance. You need that balance in the preaching you listen to of being very exegetical, good hermeneutics, taking the text apart verse by verse. That You need a, a, a healthy dose of that. But let me tell you, you also need a healthy dose of practical theology, practical discussions, good application of the text. You need the exegetical, you know, struggle through hermeneutic, hermeneutical issues and what does this word mean and how do, you need all of that. But you also need very practical theology and being challenged in how to live your Christian life. You need those studies that are very theological, dealing with theological issues. You need church history, but you also need those things to helping you live how to live out your Christian life in a practical way. You got to balance that out. So with the Bible study exercises, sometimes we're going really in with, with okay, figuring this out and this, this interpretation and this interpretation and this theological issue and this pertains to eschatology and there's this view and this view and wait, what does this word mean? And wait, who are these people? And wait, what's the timeline? All of that's important. But then there's times we got to step back and go, okay, what can we learn from this in a very practical meaningful way when it comes to applying this to our Christian life. So I try to, I'm going to try to constantly maintain that balance wherever I can. Now, remember, we're using a Bible study curriculum. So wherever they take us, but I'm going to always look at each study and go, what can we do with this? And right now, 
we're in a series of studies according to the to the Bible study curriculum that's going to be very practical, and the next few weeks is going to be in Genesis, and hopefully you find it to be very beneficial as, I hope you find it to be very beneficial, and remember, if you're brand new to these Bible study exercises, and you want access to the curriculum, it's absolutely free, just email me, newsif at yahoo.com, say I want the curriculum, I'll send you a link, it's free, nobody's going to bother you, nobody's going to ask you for anything, nothing, anything like that, you can just use it, and and and, and a lot of times we reference the curriculum, sometimes I reference the curriculum in a very uh, detailed way. Sometimes I, I just let you know that it's there and it's to supplement what we're doing. And so I would challenge everyone this week, if you have not looked at the Bible study curriculum this week, take some time before today is over just to work through the curriculum, just to go through it, take notes, and 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 you can send me your observations from the curriculum. You can share it in the Discord uh, group, whatever you would like to do. Let's make sure we get something out of the curriculum. I wanted to use the curriculum. Just I was just going to turn on the microphone and just go strictly through the curriculum today just because I wanted to make sure that got done. But I'm not going to do that because I'm really... I think I think we're, we're we're there are some very important things here that we cannot just ignore, and I may I may come back to this tomorrow. I don't know how church is going to work tomorrow, but I think maybe during the Sunday school hour I'm going to come back to this because I just think there's some really practical things here, and I think there's two there there's really there's really three things that I really really want to get to, and one of them. I really emphasized it at the beginning of the study, and I've done a poor job in getting us back to it because I keep separating things from from it. That, and I'll just go ahead and mention it. One of the major issues we've talked about is this concept of generational sins. I've defined what that is, but each time I find something in Genesis 37, I keep separating, go, well, okay, that's that's not, I'm I'm not gonna call that a generational sin. So I'm kind of, I've kind of moved us away from that concept more than I wanted to. But there, there are reasons why there's a lot going on in Genesis 37. But we'll 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 come back to that concept at some point. We will just just don't don't think I'm going to forget it. Just don't think I'm going to forget it. So here's what we've done. We're looking at Genesis 37. We're looking at Genesis 37. That's the text for this week. And I'm looking at the concept of spiritual pitfalls. Spiritual pitfalls and watching how these spiritual uh, pitfalls manifest themselves within this historical narrative. We're reading a historical narrative, giving us the details of what's happening within a family, what's happening to these individuals. And I believe in that we can see some spiritual pitfalls that you and I can fall into. And I just think it's interesting in Genesis 37. Well, I think an individual finds themselves in a pit, don't they? I, I, I think I think you'll, you'll, you, you know that. Remember, you're supposed to be reading Genesis 37 over and over and over and over and over. Okay, so um, hopefully you have been doing that. But let's remind ourselves of this, all right? Let's go to the, the definition of a pitfall because this has been really key to our study this week. A pitfall is a pit, flimsily covered, or a pit, flimsily covered or camouflaged and used to capture and hold animals or men. A hidden or not easily recognized danger or difficulty. That's really the idea. Think of, for illustration purposes, you see there's a pit out there and it's covered with a flimsy covering. So it's flimsily covered so that you don't perceive the danger. You don't see the pit. 
You just see, okay, that looks fine. I can walk across that. You don't see any danger. And then you start walking across it and boom, it gives out. There you are. You are in a pit. So what I've tried to do is go through Genesis 37 and go, hey, guys, hey, guys, look, 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 look. Here are some things that we may not necessarily see as a spiritual pitfall. But here are some dangers here, and we need to be on the lookout for them. Because guess what? They brought this family, they brought this family great pain and difficulty, and they do the same for us. So let's go through, and I've got it written down in my notebook, the spiritual pitfalls that we have seen so far in this story. Are you ready? Genesis chapter 37. Let's see. Oh, there's, there's two big ones I really want to get to today. All right. Oh, there's two big ones. All right, we're going to definitely get to one, and the second one I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to probably mention. All right, here we go. Genesis 37, verse 1. And Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan, his father being Isaac. I want you to just know that right at the very beginning in Genesis 37, it begins to establish the family. We have Jacob, we have Isaac. These are the generations of, of Jacob. So now we have, again, this idea of genealogy, family, 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 family. It's really being emphasized. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren or with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. So you've got brothers, you've got fathers, you've got, you've got sons, you've got wives, you've got everything that establishes the family unit. And I, just to remind you, I said one of the big spiritual pitfalls that you may not see, you don't even see it coming, is family. Within the context of family, there are spiritual pitfalls that you don't even see coming that can greatly hinder your spiritual life and cause great difficulty and find yourself in a pit. I'm not denying the blessing of family. I'm not denying that it God ordained family. I'm not in any way denying any of that. I'm just saying that family, it, it, there's a danger associated with it. And I would prove that by going to the New Testament where Jesus said, hey, if you, you have to hate mother, father, daughter, if you're going to be my disciple. Why is he saying that? Because there's a danger of you loving or placing family before God. There is a spiritual danger associated with family. Even the apostle Paul says, hey, when you are single, you can focus on the things of God. But when you become married, you have to focus on the things of this world. Even he demonstrates the spiritual challenges that are associated with it. And of course, we know there are spiritual challenges associated with it. Because there's an entire multi-billion dollar industry within the Christian world of trying to help Christian families, right? Christian counseling, Christian books on marriage, Christian conferences on parenting. Because guess what? Christians who are in families find themselves with all kinds of spiritual challenges and issues that sometimes result in failure and sin and pain and broken homes and broken families and divorce and all the other issues that can occur. Everyone knows that. There is spiritual danger there. It looks, ooh, look at great. Family is amazing. And and not not saying it's not amazing. We just got to see the danger. So there's the first one. All right. And it's all laid out right there. It mentions family, 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 family. All right. So 
Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger and the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Now the next thing. So the first spiritual pitfall is family. Second spiritual pitfall. He has, Jacob has adopted the cultural practice of polygamy. He has multiple wives. Now, let me make this very clear. We call this the spiritual pitfall, not a polygamy. We call this the spiritual pitfall of cultural influence. When, wherever Christianity exists, whenever it exists, where, whatever country, whenever, whatever time frame, it's always had to face the spiritual pitfall of cultural influence because the culture influences. The culture influences. And we, we talked about that. I'm not going to have time to go back and review all of that. Now, the third one is found right there in Genesis 37. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. He brings on this. And as one commentary said, Joseph now is kind of accused of, he's kind of accused here of being, or he gets the reputation, I should say. He's not being accused. He gets the reputation almost now of being a talebearer. And so we talked about the next spiritual pitfall is our tongue, our speech, our communication. And we talked about what a talebearer is, what talebearing is. And we went, we went through all kinds of scriptures. And we've got to be on the lookout that how many times do we, 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 all, we all talk. We all talk. Every day we talk, we talk, we talk, we talk. So we don't think much about talking. But so much of our communication, talking, whether it's with our actual physical mouth or it's talking by tapping on that screen on social media all day, tap, 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 tap. That's a spiritual pitfall. And so many times we get ourselves spiritually in trouble by what we say or how we communicate. Over and over and over and over again. And we looked at all the scriptures about this. Now, I, I, I want to correct something, or not really correct something. I was unable to provide you the information um, about what is this evil report. Like, he brings this, in fact, as the King James says, Genesis 37. Let me read it again. Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. What, what, what were the brothers doing that he had to come and report. Now, we asked all kinds of questions. Was it right for him to report this? Did he do the right thing? Did he do the wrong thing? How should he have handled this? And, and I'm not condemning what he did, but there's no question that this evil report is going to be, become a source of major issues. And there could be a reason. The reason he may have done it may be found in the next verse. We'll talk about it. But if you go back to the church fathers, and I told everyone to do this. If you look up in the Katina app, Okay, if you go to the Katina app and you look up this uh, verse, verse two, and you, uh, you will pull up this commentary that I think is very interesting, all right? Because it's just, there, there's a lot here. But uh, there's a commentary. Now, the Katina app pulls up uh, commentaries from the past. And uh, here is a commentary that says this. The sons, perhaps, were not so much enraged against Joseph till he told his father of their scandalous behavior in order that he might put a stop to it. He accused, some editions of the Septuagint read, 
read, they accused him, but all others confirmed the Vulgate and Hebrew uh, at, that, that basically he's the one who reports and accuses them. And then here's what they say. Perhaps Joseph is accusing his brothers of sodomy or bestiality. St. Thomas Aquinas uh, said, or of abusive language to Joseph himself. That's some that's some major speculation going on here. Hey, dad, dad, Joseph comes running home. Hey, dad, my brothers are committing sodomy. Hey, dad, 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 my brothers committing bestiality. Well, those would be some serious things so you could see why he would do that. Now, I have to just stress this. In my estimation, almost all preaching and all commentaries always wants to just immediately make Joseph the hero. He, because they got they, they want to draw a picture between Joseph and Christ and say, hey, Joseph is like Jesus. He's the hero. Now, I'm not saying he's, he doesn't do good things here, but it's, this also is just happening within a real family, right? It's not like Joseph is walking around and that he was born without sin and he's got a halo. He's a human being. He's a sinful human being. So he, he's out there feeding the flock and maybe he doesn't like those brethren. Maybe he doesn't like their, their mothers. Maybe he doesn't like, maybe there's, there's some, some things going on here where there's already division. And we, and I think the next verse gives us some insight. Maybe there was division. I don't know what's going on, but many of the commentaries wants it to make it sound like, look, Joseph was, he was sent there to do this and he was doing the right thing. I don't know. I just know that next thing you know, he's telling on his brothers. Did he confront his brothers? Did he tell them they were going to tell? I don't know. Thomas Aquinas goes on to say, he may, they just may have said abusive things to him. They just may have been rude to him. They just may have said some mean things to him. And then Joseph runs home and goes, dad, my brother said mean things to me. Now, was that the right thing? Again, how, I don't know exactly what happened, but I know it's a warning to us that so much time we get ourselves in trouble by talking to people about people when we shouldn't be talking to those people about those people. In many cases, we should just keep our mouths shut And if we're going to do anything, confront the people who are involved. There's a right way to handle it. And we talked about all of that. But that's the commentary I was looking for. I had my settings for the Katina app set for the early church fathers. And so, therefore, I missed that commentary. Uh, So one of the uh, listeners emailed me and said, hey, your settings are probably wrong on your iPad. And I'm like, well, you think you're so smart. No, I didn't say that. No, I was like, thank you very much because I looked foolish not being able to find it. All right, but there, but there it is. The Katina app, download it. Use that app, all right? So we, so we, this is what we did. So the spiritual pitfalls was family, cultural influence, and speech or words. Now, we come to the next one. We come to the next one. Here we go. Now, Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Stop right there. The next, now, I'm going to put the generational sin thing till later. It, It will make sense why. Just stay with me. The next spiritual pitfall that I want you to write down is favoritism. Favoritism. There is a major spiritual pitfall here in this family, 
and it all deals with favoritism. Now, favoritism doesn't quite fit perfectly the spiritual pitfall idea, but in a way it does. Remember, the spiritual pitfall is it doesn't look bad. It doesn't look, it doesn't look like a sin. Now, favoritism should show up as a sin, but it doesn't because here's the thing. When, you, when you're showing favoritism, you may actually think that you may not even notice that you're showing favoritism. Like in Jacob's mind, he may be like, look, I'm just showing love to one of my children. I'm just showing love to one of my sons. I'm, I'm proud of this son. I, I, I'm grateful for this son. It doesn't mean I don't love the other ones. Like you, you, and it can be, I think favoritism can be so subtle that you don't even realize you're engaging in favoritism and yet favoritism can create major problems. But I want you to think of this. I want you to think of favoritism being a spiritual pitfall. Listen to me. And you are the ones exercising favoritism. Stay with me. Or you are the one who is the victim of favoritism. Like you will either be the one carrying out favoritism, you're You're showing favoritism, right? Which becomes a spiritual pitfall for you because you're not treating people fairly or accurately, right? So that's a spiritual pitfall. And it can create a spiritual pitfall because of all the consequences that erupts from it. But what do you do when you're the one who's the victim of favoritism? How do you handle it? Because that becomes a major part of this chapter, right? There are some people who are the victim of favoritism. How do they respond? The favoritism becomes a pitfall for them. I think that's very important. So let's do this. Let's define favoritism. Favoritism is defined as the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. Now, if you have a family, do, now in many cases, I think people outside of the family, like you're not, like you're the parent, so you're, you're engaging in whatever you engage in with your, with your children, with your, with your family, right? Someone outside of the family can look and go, Wow, that they seem to really like that kid more than the other kid. But if you were to mention it, they would be like, how dare you say that? I love my children equally. I never show preferential treatment. Maybe you don't see it. Because let's be honest, children develop certain personality traits, personality characteristics. And as a parent, you may find yourself, you can understand those personality traits. You can understand their characteristics. You can understand that. Like, like you have just kind of like, you understand that child. You can figure that the other one, you're like, what in the world are you doing? They're at it. Their actions and attitudes. You not only do you not understand it, it frustrates you and irritates you. And so what you have a tendency to do, well, this kid, you're kind of like, okay, hey, come on now, just stop it. And, and, and you're much more patient. You're much more understanding because you can really, the other one, you're like, would you stop it? What are you doing? And you get frustrated and you snap at them because they're, you don't relate to their behavior. Now, unbeknown, un, uh, you're not even really know, you don't really know it. You don't really understand it. You're beginning to show a certain level of favorist, favoritism in some way, shape, or form. 
And in some ways, you almost show a preferential treatment towards one. One, you're, you're more patient with. One, you're more accepting with. One, you're more understanding with. The other one, you get more frustrated with. You snap at them. You're, you're more likely to just say no. You're, you, you, you jump on them. This can happen. Preferential treatment can happen in the family. Oh, oh me or amen, okay? It can happen. And I want to call it a spiritual pitfall because you may not even realize it. You may not even, but I bet you there's other people who, if they know the family, like, man, they love that kid. That right kid, that kid right there, that's their favorite. And if you were to hear that, you would be offended. You'd be mad. You'd be irritated. You'd be like, how dare you? But maybe they see something you don't. Here, there's no question. (laughs) Jacob or Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. And they even tell us why. Because he was the son of his old age. There there, there was something, he's he's old and he ends up having this child and he just has some kind of affection for this child, some kind of emotion for this child that he doesn't have for the others. That's not a good thing. Now, Jacob is responsible for creating this spiritual pit. Well, he, no, put it, let me take it back. He's fallen into the spiritual pit, pit, right? In other words, favoritism has become his spiritual pit. But now Joseph is the one receiving that favoritism. And others are the ones who are going to be victimized by it. So really, I want you to think of favoritism in three ways. All right. Here, here, here I really want you to do this. All right. Okay, there, there's, there's a certain person who listen that I always joke around that they can make a chart. They need to make a chart of this. Okay. Here's a chart. Favoritism chart. All right. Here's, here's the, the key. Okay, I want you to really think about this today. Okay. This is, I think this is really important. In your Christian life, you will either be the one showing favoritism. You may be the one receiving favoritism. Or you may be the one suffering or or the victim of favoritism. Now, on one hand, you don't want to be the one showing favoritism. You don't want to be doing that, right? Well, well, we we could have a discussion. Well, okay, just just you're you're, you're showing favoritism. Not 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 a good thing to do. All right, not a good thing to do. Or you could be the one receiving it. So here's the question. So first, you don't want to be the one doing it. In this case, Jacob, or as called Israel in the verse, Jacob, Israel is showing favoritism, which is going to divide the family, cause pain, problems, and suffering. And and it's just, it's not good. It's not good. All right. And I I think, oh, there's some, there's some scriptures we could look up. I'm not going to look them up right now. All right. Just, just stay with me. So you don't want to be the one carrying it out. But what do you do? If you're the one receiving it, what are, do you do if you're in a situation where you just become the favorite? What do you do? How do you handle that? How do you not handle that? Okay, now, the reason I stress that is because Joseph tells on his brothers. Did he go tell on his brothers because he knew that he was the favorite? Because he knew that his father loved him more 
than his brethren. So he he's motivated. He's he's the recipient of favoritism, and his response to favoritism is to use it to make his brothers look worse, to to build himself up even more. Well, like, like, I'm not saying that that's why he did it. It just seems interesting that, hey, he told his brothers, and oh, by the way, Israel just happened to love Joseph more than everyone else. Well, maybe that's why he's so motivated to do that. No, in other words, you can take advantage of that favoritism. Use it to your advantage and actually use it to hurt other people. So you can be the one carrying it out. You can be the one receiving it. And then you can be the one who becomes a victim of it. How do you respond to that? All of this is very critical to living out your Christian life. Now, I'm going to go down here to, uh, this is from the curriculum. They call it blatant favoritism. Joseph was born into this toxic, dysfunctional mess, and he had a bullseye on his back from birth. Now, immediately, I just want you to realize, once again, they're making Joseph, see, the, see I think every, all literature does this. See, Joseph is the, is the, is the, the good guy. Joseph is the hero in the story. So everything about, see, Joseph was just born into this mess and he had a target on his back. And poor Joseph, poor Joseph. What about the poor brothers who are not loved as much as Joseph? Like nobody seems to care about them. Well, who cares about them? They were born into the dysfunctional mess as well, right? I mean, right? I mean, in, in this dysfunctional mess part of the whole family and we could go through everything that's gone on within the family. That goes on to say, Joseph was born into this toxic, dysfunctional mess, and he had a bullseye on his back from birth. He was, after all, the son of his father's favorite wife, Rachel. So he has a favorite wife. He ends up with a favorite son. Yeah, I can't see anything going wrong in that kind of family, right? Not not at all. In addition, because Joseph was born to Jacob in his later years, that increased the image of his being a favored child in Jacob's eyes. Joseph was in a proverbial pressure cooker from the start. Now, I will say that, yeah, he finds himself in this mess. But you know what we do in our sinfulness when we find ourselves in maybe a dysfunctional mess where we just happen to be the favorite? We tend to use the situation for our own benefit and advancement. And what better way to advance and benefit yourself than saying, hey, hey, dad, dad, you know, those other kids, <laughs> you're not going to believe what they were doing. Now, I'm not saying that that's the reason he did it, but he can't just be like, we can't just so sanitize the text that we turn it into a Disney movie and it's one dimensional. Here's the good guy. Here's the bad. It's not one dimensional characters. These are human beings. Joseph is in the middle of this. You don't think he's not influenced by the culture of his family? We talked about that. But look what happens. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. What in the world is going on here? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? The, the, the curriculum says it this way. 
Jacob added fuel to the fire by giving Joseph a coat of many colors. Scholars are uncertain if the coat was extra colorful or if it was if it had long sleeves that set it apart. Either way, this special custom-made coat seemed to push the brothers over the edge. In ancient culture, to reject a gift was to reject the person who gave it. So Joseph was expected to wear it. We get the sense that Joseph was a marked man because the very sight of Joseph in this robe caused the brother's blood to boil. Now, Jacob is clearly not only is he demonstrating favoritism by loving more more than the other. He goes so far to put, give Joseph a symbol that I love you more than all that. Hey, I'm giving you a coat and not the, uh, the others don't get this. You get to wear it. Basically you wear it around as much as possible, showing these brothers who I think is my favorite. Now, whether he could reject it or not reject it, I'm not here to get into it. I'm not saying Joseph did anything wrong by wearing it. The point is, this is favoritism everywhere. Joke, Jacob is practicing it. Joseph is benefiting from it. And the brothers are victims of it. And favoritism in your life, you're either going to be the one doing it, you're going to be the one benefiting from it, or you're going to be the one victimized by it. You're, as a Christian, you must identify when favoritism is occurring, and then you must decide if you're going to respond from a biblical perspective or from a fleshly perspective. Joseph, I don't know. I don't know if he's handling himself the right way. Him telling on his brothers, look, if you already know, man, I'm already the favorite here. The last thing I need to do is it'll cause problems here. Do I go tell dad or do I just have a confrontation with my brothers? I, I like... There's a part of me that goes, I don't know why you should tell. And then immediately, boom, hey, here's a coat of many colors. And then look at what happens in verse four. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Their response, they're the, they, so you've got the one carrying it out, Jacob, you got the one benefiting from it, Joseph, and now you've got the victims of it, which are the brothers, and listen, they respond with hatred. They could not even speak peaceably unto him. Couldn't even speak peaceably unto him. And in any way, shape, could not do so. Hatred. Now, this is very important. If you are the one who's the victim of favoritism, you can't respond with hatred. You can't respond with bitterness. You, you can't, you, you've got to avoid that. Now you've got to ask yourself, have you been the one carrying out or, or putting forth favoritism? Have you been the one who benefited from it? And have you been the one who's victimized by it? If you're the victim of it, how are you going to respond? How are you going to handle yourself? I'll just, I'll just, maybe this will make sense to you. I got to use illustrations of what I know. All right. Because that, that, that makes sense. Right. All right. So for those, most of you know, my mother died when I was a teenager. So my mother dies. I think it's about nine to 10 months after her death, nine to 10 months. Maybe it was 11. I don't think it even made it 11 months. It was less than a year, less than a year after my mother died. My father is getting remarried and literally he gets remarried standing at the very spot in a church where my mother's casket was sitting 
a year, a little less than a year earlier. You talk about just a horrible, who came up with that decision? Hey, kids, I'm going to, and, and we didn't have any say-so in anything. So I'll, I mean, we didn't even really know what was going on. Our mom's dead. It's it's crazy. I spent eight weeks in a psychiatric hospital for trying to kill myself. You talk about a just a broken, dis, dysfunctional mess, toxic environment. That was that family. We could go all day. But it's just like, who comes up with the idea, hey, Hey, got kids, come to my wedding. Oh, remember right there, there, your mom was sitting, laying in a casket. Well, now I'm going to stand in the same spot and get married to another woman that you don't really know or don't know anything about. But oh, oh, it gets, it gets really crazy because the woman that he married had how many kids? Let me see here. One, two, was it four? I believe four. I believe four kids. Yeah, I believe it was four. All right, if I remember correctly. So it, this is the way it felt. And it's pretty accurate. We didn't even really know what was going on. We didn't really have a clue because my dad really wasn't talking to us. And it was like just a bad situation. And all of a sudden, they, he started adding like this addition to the back of the house, right? And it wasn't even really finished. It wasn't really complete. There was no furniture. There was no nothing, right? It was just kind of like this extra part of the house. And then the next thing you know, literally this is how it felt. The front door opens and here comes these four kids. Right? We didn't really know anything about them. These four kids come walking in and basically, hey, they're going to live here now. Oh, in your rooms? You don't live in your rooms anymore. Now you're going to be in the back of this house in this kind of a new addition that's not even really finished. Oh, and you have no furniture. You don't have any. That's where you're going to be. And they get your rooms. So now the new kid, now I think, well, one of the, one of the became a stepbrother, ended up in the back part with me and my brother. And, and everyone else was uh, up at the, well, what used to be my room was taken and the other room, which was my sister's room was taken. It was, it was, and my sister basically ended up on the porch. It was just, it was crazy. It, it was nuts, right? So the next thing you know, they come in and then it started. It became, it, it, I mean, the things that happened became clear, but one thing became obvious. I mean, it was stated as a fact and it was this, that me, I had to go. That my quote unquote new stepmom, I don't even like to use that phrase, the new woman who moved into the house was like, you gotta go. You're, it's, you gotta go. Because in her mind, now with all of these kids, it's gonna be a financial burden. So we gotta start trying to get some of these kids out of the house. And the kids that needed to go just happened to be my brother, me, and my sister, not her kids. No, no, no. It had to be us because we were older. So we had to go. Clearly, there was favoritism. Clearly there was favoritism. And so I was basically forced out. Now, I wanted to get out of the mess anyway. Uh, and it, the military decided to take their never, it took like two years for me to finally go off to basic training. They almost forgot that I joined the Air Force. It was crazy. But finally I go. But it was, it was, it was not good. It was not pleasant. I could tell all the stories. But I was basically forced out. And then my brother's basically forced out. My sister, oh, don't even go through all the crazy things that happened to her. And basically, we're all forced out. We have to go because we're basically, it's viewed that we're, we are freeloading losers and that we don't deserve anything. So clearly favoritism takes place. And then what happens is this house that we were in, that was my mom's dream house. This is what she wanted. Well, now the, the stepmom is, the, the new woman is in charge. Fine, okay. But here's what ultimately happens to that house. That house gets handed over to her kids and it's systematically destroyed. I mean, you'd, you would have to see what they did to it. It was, oh my, there's no words for what, how bad it was. 
It's no, it, it, it's so bad. I think basically it's being torn down now. It, it's just, it was, it was just absolutely destroyed. Drugs, craziness. It was just utterly annihilated. And, and, and we, the, 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 the original ones who lived there were pushed out and, and favoritism. Now, here's what happened. For my part, I got bitter. I'm not going to deny it, but I basically tried to have this view. Nothing I can do about it. I can't change anything. She didn't like me. She hated me. She wanted me gone. I, to be fair, I didn't like her. I didn't want her to be there. It was a horrible situation. I'm symbolizing washing my hands of it. I got on, I went to the military and I didn't look back. And I was gone and done and moved on with my life and was not going to let it influence my present or, or my, at that time, for the present at that time. In other words, I couldn't change the past. I couldn't do anything about it. My mom died. Her dream house taken by another woman. It's now given over to the other kids. They destroy it. It's a horrible, horrible, just messed up situation. Now I can, I can live with that and become bitter and anger and filled with anger, or I can just say nothing I can do. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to claim that it was some like, well, I'm so spiritual that I forgave. I'm not going to say that. It was more just like, accept and move on. My brother and my sister could not accept and move on. And it led them to lots of bitterness, lots of hatred, lots of frustration. And, and I'm not going to say that they're what they, the things they did, are. there's an excuse for it because they got themselves in all kinds of trouble. But I just know that at least with my sister, maybe more than my brother, that anytime my sister would show up and be around and I would be around her in any way, all she could talk about is all the horrible things that went down and how messed up it all was and how we got messed over and how messed up it was and how messed over it got and how messed up it was and how messed over we got. And it was messed up and it was, we got messed over and it was, and we got messed over and it was not right. And it was not right. And it was not right. And it's like, at some point you're like, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. You just got to let it go. And she couldn't. Now, finally, I hopefully now, I think she's moved past it a little bit. She made a profession of faith. She's she gotten baptized, uh, what, last year sometime. So hopefully things are moving in the right direction. But it's been, it's been a, a, a long time since 1980, whatever it was. It's been a long time since then. It took forever for her to finally slowly move past it. It can destroy you. It can eat at you. It can make, it can just do great damage to you. You have to just, you, you got to move on. Now, yes, we're supposed to forgive as we have been forgiven. I'm not, by no means am I downplaying that. I'm just saying sometimes you got to move on even before the forgiveness occurs. You got to move on before, and you just got to let it go. You just got to, you just got to move forward, even though you, and you got to do everything you can that even though there's still some resentment, you can't let it control you or take over the the brothers who are victimized by the favoritism here, they don't let it go. They're furious. And then Jacob, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing? You're showing your favoritism now in a, like a tangible way that these kids are going to be forced to see it. Like what, what is happening here? It, it's, it's so messed up. And then we know what takes place next. This is crazy. Joseph dreamed a dream. And he, t- and he told it his brethren and they hated him yet the more. 
Now, here's... <laughs> Why is Joseph telling them the dream? Now, th- there's lots of... Dis- we could get into dispute. I'm not saying the dream didn't come from God. But did he need to go reveal this to his brothers? Did he need to tell? Why is he telling them? Let, let's listen to the dream. You, you tell me how you would feel about this. Now, here's, here's Joseph. He's already dad's favorite. Oh, look at him walking around in his coat of many colors. He's, he's the favorite. You're already frustrated and angry. And then he has a dream and he's like, hey, brethren. Hey, brothers, listen to my dream. It goes something like this. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around about and made obstinate to my sheaf. In other words, I had this dream, and, and as he says, we were binding sheaves, and my sheaf arose and stood upright, and all of your sheaves, you bowed down. To me, the favorite, the one with the coat of many colors. And his brethren said to him, shall thou indeed reign over us? Or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now, why is he telling them this? Hey guys, I just had a dream. I want you to know. And (laughs) I I know this is going to sound weird, but hey, we were binding sheaves and my sheave was standing there and all of you bowed before me. And they're like, what are, are what do you, they hated him even more. That like, now this goes back to the pitfall of speech, but it shows that the one who's benefiting from the favoritism doesn't seem to know when to just stop talking. <laughs> just, just, I don't know if Joseph is handling the favoritism in a great way either. Clearly the brothers are not because it's like they hate, they hate, they hate. But Joseph isn't done. No, 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 no. And he dreamed yet another dream. And he told, and once again, he got it. Hey, hey guys, 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 you remember how much you hated the last dream? Well, I got another one for you. I got another one. It goes like this. Behold, I have dreamed a dream more and behold the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made opposite uh, bowed to me if I can just say the word that way okay Uh, they bowed before me now I want you to hear that again the sun the moon and the stars bowed before me can you imagine if you're hearing this you're like you're looking at your brother going what is wrong with you you psycho, you narcissistic jerk. Like you probably are not saying nice words. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. Uh, And his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brother indeed uh, come to bow down ourselves to thee and to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. Now his father he kind of seems to rebuke him. Like, what are you saying? What are you saying? Uh, probably, I'm assuming he has some understanding that this is not going to go well for the family d- dynamic. But please note, his father though, okay, he's going to listen. Now is his father listening because he believes it's from God or is his father's listening because it's his favorite son? Right? See, everything becomes corrupted because of the favoritism. You don't know, you don't know what, how to I- interpret any of their actions. But the brethren, now they go from hatred to envy. 
Verse 12, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said, Go, I pray thee, see whether it will be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out with the vale of Hebron, to the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. Dothan." And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Now stop right there. Now we know what's getting ready to happen. His brothers decide it's time to get rid of him. It's time. We got to get rid of him. They're tired. They're, 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 their bitterness, their hatred, their envy had grown to this level. So here's what I want you to do. I know we have limited time because tomorrow we start a new Bible study, right? That, that's the goal. Um, but before we get there, and, and, and I'm, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to do something with this tomorrow. I got I to do something with this tomorrow. Here's what I want you to, to I really want you to think about this. All right. I want you to think about favoritism. And the first thing I want you to do, these are very simple assignments. Try to find five verses in the Bible that would condemn favoritism. Five verses in the Bible that would seem to condemn favoritism as an attitude and as an action. All right. Just, just see what you can find, all right? If you find them, please email them to me today, newsif at yahoo.com, or share them in the Discord channel. I really want you to come up with five. Five. Good ones. I want you, I want you to like, ooh, that seems to really get rid of the idea of favoritism, all right? Find, find five, right? Then I want you to find five verses that you think would give you the biblical response if you become a victim of favoritism. I want you to find the verses that condemn favoritism. Hopefully that will stop you from carrying it out. Then I want you to find five verses that would tell you what do you do if you become a victim of it? If you become a victim of it, what what do you do? How do you respond to it? I Look, my, my response wasn't always so good. All right. I mean, I think I did the best I could. I didn't, I didn't necessarily handle, handle it from a theological perspective, but I did the best I could. So I want you to find five verses that condemn uh, favoritism. And then I want you to find five verses that would tell you how to respond to favoritism. Right? Then I want you to just think about it. And if you can come up with Bible verses for this one, that's great. But how should you respond if you're the one receiving favoritism? What should you do or not do? And I want you just to, this one, just, if you can come up with Bible verses, great. But I want you just to think about it, right? So five verses or passages of the Bible that just basically would say, see, favoritism is not right. Favoritism is a sin, right? Do that. Then find five verses that would tell you what you need to do um, if you become a victim of it. And then I just want you to try to write out some things that you should or shouldn't do if you are the one receiving the favoritism. I think that's a a pretty straightforward uh, concept. I think that's a pretty straightforward idea and an easy, an easy, uh, an easy solution. And if you're hearing me, if you're hearing me uh, 
pausing is because I started getting all nervous because I don't know, there's all these people walking around in the parking lot of the church or there was people or peoples or person, I don't know. And I got like, they walked one way and I thought they're getting ready to knock on the door. Then they walked the other way. And I'm like, okay, I can see them through the window. What do they need? So I'm going to have to wrap this up. I was afraid it was going to interrupt the recording, but I've got to go figure out what's going on out there. Um, and see if they need something because, well, if I'm here and they need something, then I have a responsibility. But I, I just didn't want – I didn't want you to hear this. Now, the door is way far away from where I am, but it, 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 it would probably it – would, I know this. It would interrupt me. So uh, it already interrupted me because all of a sudden I got this feeling, no, 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 don't, don't, don't knock on the door. Please, please, please. Like I'm praying to myself, please, please, God, put a force field on the door or put a big red sign out there saying he's, he's live on the air. Don't knock on the door. So, uh, but nothing happened. So that's good. But I want you to hear myself getting distracted there. So there's your assignments, right? Remember Bible study exercise rules. I'm not here to do all the teaching for you. I'm just to give this to you. So favoritism, you're either going to be the one handing out favoritism. You're going to be the one receiving it, or you're going to be the victim of it. What I want you to do is find five verses in the Bible that would say favoritism is not, except, not what God would call you to do. He condemns it. Five verses. Then I want you to find five verses to say, if you become a victim of favoritism, this is how you should respond to it. And then I want you to think of, you can find verses if you can, just what, what should your response be if, you're, if you benefit from it? What, what, what should you do? How should you respond? Because I think favoritism is a spiritual pitfall, considering you can either be a pitfall because you end up are the one handing it out, it can become a pitfall because you receive it. And then you start acting. Look, I think Joseph here is not acting like he's the beneficial beneficiary of favoritism. Why is he going to tell his brothers, Hey, you're going to bow down to me. the sun, the moon, the star, everything's going to bow down to me. I'm like, what in the world are you doing, Joseph? And think, Hey, Hey, know your audience, buddy. No, know your audience. Okay. I don't think this is a good idea. Right? And then the brothers, the brothers are victims of it. They're like, we're going to kill him. <laughs> okay, they, I don't know if that's such a good response. So I, but all of this is spiritual pitfall and it all fall, takes place within family. And you could argue that favoritism really, I think you could argue that a lot of this is just generational stuff that shows up in the previous chapters of Genesis. And a lot of this nonsense shows up within the family dynamic going all the way back to Abram and Sarai. You could, you could make that argument. And so the, all of this could be a generational sin, but I keep separating these out um, because I, I, I want you to really think about them as spiritual pitfalls. All right, I'm going to stop right there and go find out what the people outside are doing, what they want, what they need. I don't really know what's going on, but I'm going to check that out. All right, there we go. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. You can send me your assignments or Discord channel. That's the easiest way. Just post it right there. That just makes it simple and fast and easy. And everyone else can benefit from it. So um, if you want to do that. All right, I'm going to stop right there. And uh, I won't say this is the last episode of this Bible study exercise. And yes, tomorrow we will introduce a new one. But uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know. I'm going to do something with this because I just don't feel like we can be done yet. I don't feel like we can be done. All right. So maybe I'm going to go maybe a little different direction tomorrow, but we will see.
right? There's, there's one other thing I wanted to get to. I wanted, I, wanted just, I wanted to briefly mention generational sin, then I wanted to mention favoritism, and there was a third one, a third thing I wanted to mention, but I didn't get to it. So um, I think uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Maybe. We'll see. All right. Uh, now there's cars in the parking lot. I don't know what's going on in the church parking. I don't know what's happening to going on it here at the church. So I'm going to go find out. Everyone have a great day. God bless.